<clears throat> continuing with this first chapter called Hearing Dharma in the book Being Dharma by um, teachings of Lumpur Cha, uh, translated by Paul Breiter, uh, formerly Bhikkhu Varapanyo. Uh, also, uh, you'll probably have noticed as we go along, uh, the teaching is not particularly systematic, but um, Lumpur Cha's style of teaching is very... Um, very spontaneous, and so he sort of picks up themes uh, or goes back and revisits themes briefly as he goes along. So there's not a, any kind of fixed plan or a sort of systematic point-by-point uh, point exploring of uh, particular uh, teachings, but it's much more of a, a free flow and, uh, I say, um, spontaneous kind of um, jazz form rather than a kind of Bach uh, highly crafted point-by-point point piece, and that's uh, very, very much Gompochar's spontaneous style. He never prepared anything that he he taught. He just would get up onto the dumb seat, or people would ask a question, he would just start talking, or sometimes he would, if he was up on the dumb seat, he might sit there for like five or ten minutes just sort of clipping his nails, get some... <coughs> some, some an aromatic oil to, to to sniff for a bit and wait till something arose to, to talk about. So, to continue. If our awareness of these truths is not clear, if instead we are deluded about nature, it is called the Dharma of delusion. Then we see these things as self, as ours, and in terms of self and others. This is ignorance, and when there is ignorance, mental formations arise. So in that he's referring to the beginning of the Paticca Samuppada, Avicca Pachaya Sankara, Sankara Pachaya Vinyanang, and so on. Uh, ignorance conditions formations, formations condition consciousness, consciousness conditions uh, mind and body, mental, mentality and materiality, and so on. So this is ignorance, and when there is ignorance, mental formations arise. We struggle with things. We want to control, to get this or avoid that, and fall prey to like and to dislike. This is something I like. Please let me have more of it. That's something I can't stand. Please don't let it come to me. This should be like this. That should be like that. Such thinking comes from delusion. You become like someone who tries to seize another's house and field, taking what is not really yours. The desires just keep on appearing in great heaps, and you won't even know where they came from or what they're leading you to do. So uh, in that, uh, it's a very um, direct and helpful uh, say description of uh, dependent origination and how uh, the mind gets uh, lost uh, in things. And that's essentially what, even though dependent origination can seem like a very kind of subtle, intricate or complicated Teaching is essentially what describing what happens when we're not mindful, when the mind uh, drifts from being completely uh, awake and aware of things, then it immediately buys into the thoughts that are arising, the feelings of like or dislike, approval, disapproval. They seem to be absolutely solid. When the mind says, I like, then it immediately assumes, now that's a good thing that I'm liking, or I dislike, that's a bad thing, and it believes those judgments without question and then all kinds of 
trouble and confusion and struggle uh, arise from that. So that even though the dependent origination can seem to be quite a, a sort of confusing and complicated, intricate process, uh, as I was saying, that uh, took me quite a few years to get a sense of what all the different parts were, were talking about. In its in its essence, it's it's really quite simple. It's like what happens when the mind is uh, is not awake, when it's uh, when there is a lack of mindfulness, it very quickly leads towards dukkha. And uh, in one of his uh, well-known descriptions about Paticca Samupada, Lumpur Chah said, you know, the whole process happens so quickly, it's like falling out of a tree and trying to count the branches on your way down. It's, it was happening so fast, you don't have time to, to count the branches, but thud, you know, ow, it hurts when you hit the ground. That's not that much you're, you're sure about. So, um, that, uh, uh, again, just seeing the connection between you know, ignorance and lack of mind, you know, lack of mindfulness, and then following impulses, and then dukkha, following usually very very quickly after that. That's uh, the essence of dependent origination. Teaching and listening to dharma that this is such and that is such are not really dharma. They are words to point something out so that you can enter and see. Speaking to help people see the truth is skillful means or ways of teaching. That's a upaya in Pali is a, the word used for skillful means. Speaking to help people see the truth is skillful means or, or ways of teaching, the dharma of study. When it's only speech without actually seeing, when you merely want to learn the words to be able to repeat them, no benefit comes. When you apply the words and see that this is the way things are, the unchanging constant law arising according to causes and conditions without a self or essence, this is actually what the Buddha was talking about. If you don't yet see, there is suffering. If you do see, you won't long for anything. There'll be no more tears or laughter over things. And so once again, as I said, he sort of goes back and is revisiting this point about there's the, the, the Dharma of, of, of words and... Uh, the um, verbal explanation, conceptual forms that uh, are one aspect of, of, of dharma or dhamma. And then there's the actuality, the, the reality of the way things are, and to not confuse the words for the, uh, the actuality. So he's going back and visiting that theme you know, over and over again. And it's also um, uh, uh, interesting and significant um, what he's pointing to is that it's really a change of vision. When we hear those words uh, and, and they, they really strike the heart, it's really changing the way that the mind sees things and appreciates things. And in the, the Buddha's languaging of, of uh, the, the arising of, of wisdom and understanding, also he used a lot of vision language. Um, that Ewang uh, Pasang, uh, seeing thus, is very, very frequent in, in the, the suttas, like in the Anattalakana Sutta that we chant and the fire sermon that we chant, Ewang Pasang, seeing thus, Pasati is the verb to see. Um, or when in the Dhammachaka Sutta, the Buddha's first discourse, uh, the way he talks about that arising of, uh, of understanding, Chakung Udapadi, Chaku is the eye, so vision arises. Jnana, uh, uh, knowledge arises, Panya, Vijja, uh, to wisdom arises, 
awareness arises, aloka, light arises. So there's a lot of uh, like light, vision, uh, seeing is very much the uh, mode of talking about that awakening, uh, that uh, sort of the core of of understanding is represented very, very commonly in, in this way. And it's to do with a, a different way of seeing, like, <laughs> we're not just seeing with your glasses, without your glasses, but like a, from a, seeing things from a whole different angle. And so there's that, uh, like, a, a, a quality of recognition, so that, like, if you're um, looking at a, a puzzle, and uh, you're, you're seeing a collection of sort of black and white marks in a picture, and you think, well, it's just a a random collection of black and white uh, um, shapes, and they go, "Oh no, it's a, it's a Dalmatian walking in the shadow of of and and the, in the sunlight under a tree. It's a dog, and there's the sunlight, there's the shadow, and there's a black and white spots on the dog. Aha! It's like that moment of, of going from just seeing a random collection of, of black and white patches to oh look, there's an image, there's a quality there, or or like the uh, the magic eye pictures. I know. And I've uh, I mentioned those in the past. Sometimes people get really irritated by using that as an example because I can't see them. <laughs> so, but uh, those of you who are familiar with magic eye pictures, they're computer-generated images. So it looks just like a kind of, usually just sort of a blurry collection of colors and uh, amorphous uh, shape on the page. And if you adjust your vision in exactly the quote-unquote right way, then you can see a three-dimensional image emerging that's not apparently there at all. You can't see it at the surface level of the ink on the on the page. But if you if you relax your vision in a certain way, then that kind of blurry, um, nondescript uh, ink on the page suddenly appears as you know palm trees or dolphins or or a, a building or a a car or um, Superman flying across the, the page or some such that is just not visible there at the surface level. So uh, I know that some people don't like that as an analogy <laughs> because they they have been staring for hours at these pages trying to get the damn thing to produce the, the 3D image and somehow no amount of effort uh, is able to, to produce it. But uh, I think personally I think that's a, a very good example of of the middle way if you if you don't bother if you just sort of glance at it nothing is there if you try too hard you're trying to make it appear then uh, you, you can't see the the hidden image but if you have a, a quality of uh, of fixed attention but a quality of relaxation at the same time then whoa look it's a tree <laughs> it's a car it's a building that uh, that emerges so personally i feel that's quite a good uh, a good example. I was going to include one of those in the, with an image of the Buddha uh, like a, uh, in the and the island, but my co-author nixed it. <laughs> and the editorial team at Abhayagiri said, "Not a good idea, Rajan." So I thought it was a good idea, but I do feel that it, that kind of um, seeing thus is like that. Uh, in terms of insight, or, or the word insight, like seeing, seeing inwardly, that it's the, that uh, a shift of view, a shift of perspective, a, a slightly different way of seeing, then that quality. Of, oh, look, uh, that's that, that's how it is. That's a, a good way of representing how insight arises. Like say that with uh, with the meditation, and 
using the the practice to uh, to say look at the the feelings of the body and to, to when in a, in one moment it might suddenly become apparent oh right that which knows material form doesn't have a form in itself awareness of form that knows a form but the awareness doesn't have any form on its own oh wow look at that and you might hear, hear those words and go what huh <laughs> and or it might be that oh my goodness that's right the mind itself has no form that quality of awareness it's it's totally formless but it knows form oh look at that and then that quality or that that principle is is sort of appreciated in a different way this is a a random example. So, any questions, thoughts, reflections? Yes. Ajahn Chah said, "Master, we see the truth. There's no more tears than laughter." No more tears or laughter over things. Yeah. I think a Buddha never make jokes, right? How about Ajahn Chah? The Buddha. Well, he he. Uh, the Buddha used quite a lot of puns. And word plays, so he didn't crack jokes, but uh, he did. Uh, he did use quite uh, a lot of uh, uh, of punning and the word plays, and uh, Lumpur Chah similarly. Um, that uh, you, it, uh, in a way, you have to be a bit knowledgeable about Pali to, to get to get some of it. But um, it uh, there's sometimes you know the Buddha is really being quite quite witty, you know, very witty and. And quite uh, and te- and quite teasing um, in the way he puts things. But uh, if you're not aware of the uh, of sort of Pali grammar or Indian folklore, then you know you don't quite get the quite get the joke. So uh, Venerable Ananda Maitreya, also Bhikkhu Bodhi, has uh, is very interesting with talking with, with them. Are very 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 knowledgeable Pali scholars. They say yeah, actually the Pali canon has quite has got a lot of wit in it. But for the the early translators into into European languages, English and German, they completely missed a lot of it. That it's just not uh, it's not because it's not obvious. It's not like a, a kind of a, a joke. But um, the, uh, the the kind of word plays that the, the Buddha uses uh, is uh, are often giving a kind of uh, sort of a, a teasing or a punning, a kind of a humorous uh, angle on things. But um, yeah, the yeah, laughter would, in that respect is. I mean, Lumpur Chah used to laugh quite a lot, but um, that kind of being lost in the sort of um, uh, in the laughing about something as a uh, or something somebody made it being made fun of, you know, that wouldn't be uh, humorous. But uh, you're not you're not lost in in those states of, of tears or laughter. They're just. Uh, they they uh, are kind of natural responses, but they're not something that you're kind of uh, kind of carried away by. So I, I it's like for for myself, I I never deliberately trying to be funny in giving dhamma talks or teachings, and I'm often usually I'm very surprised. People say people will say to me, "Oh, Arjun, that was so that was so funny. That was you're you know you're you're very witty." And they go, "What? Huh?" I thought I thought it was a very straight dumb talk. I can't, you know, I can't register that I was actually you know, doing anything or saying anything that was like cracking a joke. 
but um, it can come across in that way. So I think that's, uh, uh, I would say, you know, similar to the, the tone of, of Ajahn Chah. He would very often drop in little kind of wisecracks or observations about, uh, about life, or about how people are, or about himself. And, um, uh, and that it's not in just for the sake of making a laugh, but the point is you're, you're trying to uh, convey a particular meaning, and uh, humor is a way that, that, uh, that can come, things can uh, be conveyed most easily. We've been crying and laughing without end since we were little children. We have been insane without rest. Always trying to get something that is not ours. Always in contention. Desiring something we can never really get. We're always living in a state of dissatisfaction and suffering. If you listen in order to make the mind dharma and practice so that you see dharma, you will finish with the problems of this life. It can end here. Understand that things do not exist for you to be able to season, modify, or improve them. They are just unalterable nature, the way they are, arising and passing away. When you studied and practiced Dharma, you understand that the Buddha did not teach to fix things, but to see according to truth. If you want to change things, that's not Dharma, that's not truth. It's just the habit of someone who wants to create and manipulate. If you do not see the truth of the way things are, there's no path to practice, and you're outside of the noble truths of suffering, its cause, cessation, and the path. Uh, actually, I'm, uh, also I'm remembering there's a, a um, uh, one particular teaching of the Buddha where he says uh, he talks about uh, laughter and singing and dancing, and it's quite quite uh, uh, critical. It's like like dancing is a kind of madness, and laughter is is a kind of behavior of the insane. And, uh, and so on and so forth, and and there are people who like singing and dancing and and, uh, and laughing. Think, oh, it's really upsetting. The Buddha was such a sourpuss and really really negative. But um, the uh, uh, I think it's also good to to take those um, as a reflection and say, what are people doing when they're they're singing or dancing or, or cracking jokes? Yeah, there's a certain uh, appeal or something that's that's energetic or. or can be um, have a certain charm to them, but if you look at the, the, you know those uh, activities just from an objective point of view, it's like that's a pretty strange thing to be doing. <laughs> but why do we why do we call this valuable or, or beautiful or something uh, sensible to be doing? But again, I, I acknowledge some, I, I can't remember where in the sutras it comes across, but uh, it is quite blunt in the in the sort of critical of and the criticism of singing, dancing, and playing games, and such like. But um, it's a, uh, uh, it's, it gives a good perspective, or uh, an interesting perspective, on what our culture takes to be so automatically you know, fine and good. So the, the point that, that then later on in this paragraph that Lumpur Chara is making, where he says, the Buddha did not teach to fix things, but to see according to truth. If you want to change things, that's not Dharma, with a capital D. That's not truth. It's just the habit of someone who wants to create and manipulate. So um, uh, I, I think it's good to consider that. Um, or I, I, uh, when Ajahn Chah makes that kind of a statement, he's talking about things from a very immediate perspective, I would say, because uh, he was one who actually did a lot of stuff <laughs> and made a lot of changes and was quite, uh, um, say, creative or quite proactive 
in in teaching people, in establishing uh, structures and buildings and, and such like, and doing things in creative ways. So Ajahn Shah, even though he says um, the Buddha didn't teach to fix things, but to see according to the truth, Ajahn Shah was actually very good at fixing things. <laughs> so it's uh, the point about that kind of a statement. And again, it's good to read it carefully because it's not... It's not saying don't do anything or try to be completely passive or just switch yourself off, but rather to not look at doing things or creating effects as an end in themselves. That's the the, the point of that, I would say, how I read this. So he's not against things like social improvement or or, um, or saying that every doctor who's trying to cure patients is wasting their time. Uh, But what he's saying is that... um, uh, Yes, it's good to go to the doctor, and it's helpful that there are medical people who can fix things and help, help you know, look after your health. But as you often point out, even doctors die. You know, the, even that uh, uh, there's only so much you can do with putting up buildings or or, or creating social improvements or um, or healing bodies and such like. There's only so much that can be done, and the 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 worldly perspective, the usual um, human take on things, is that putting up these structures or making social improvements um, and, uh, and or, or, say, medical treatment and such like, it's taken as an end in itself and it's taken as an absolute good. And what he's, how, how I read this, what he's doing is saying, well, yes, you do a certain amount. And the Buddha himself also, in a similar way, was very, very creative in setting up skillful structures, but those are not an end in themselves. It just creates a, a helpful environment, there some supportive conditions, but you know, you can't, there's no doctor that ever uh, cured someone from an illness and then they never got ill ever again. There's no doctor that can cure physical death. Um, and as Lumpur Chao would often point out, when doctors would always try to, particularly in his later life when he was he was very ill. He said, yeah, the doctors keep trying to fix me, but they can't fix themselves. <laughs> yeah, doctors, they still get ill and they still die. But the, he said, and he, that would be in the context of the doctors are always trying to sort to fix me and to cure me and to, to uh, make it so that I don't die. But that, from the bigger perspective, it's like, well, you can only do so much. You know, the, the best kind of structure that you build, you know, can only hold together for so long. The... The, the best kind of medicine, the best kind of social aid that is established by the local government or, or, or social uh, leaders. You can, only, you can only do so much. And if you're trying to make some kind of um, uh, absolute effect, then you're, you're going to be disappointed. As he says, always trying to get something that is not ours, always in contention, desiring something we can never really get. We're always living in a state of dissatisfaction and suffering. So it's not as though we, we don't try to look after our responsibilities, our duties, uh, the, uh, the, and to uh, uh, work to, to help each other in the world and to, to look after each other. But you're recognizing, well, you can only do so much. <laughs> and, and, and in each moment, uh, the, uh, that, uh, as he says, they are just unalterable nature, the way they are arising and passing away. Uh, in this moment, it's exactly like this. Uh, and so that, that uh, in a way, taking that very immediate perspective and keeping that um, 
as a, or establishing that as the context within which you are trying to do the things that you do, taking care of the cooking and washing up and putting up buildings and taking care of building projects and uh, looking after your tidying your your room and so on and so forth. Because you know you could you could read this and say the Buddha ta- uh, did not teach to fix things but to see according to the truth and say Lumpur, yes I'm I'm just seeing according to the truth that my room is a mess. <laughs> Yeah, and that uh, so I'm just being with the way things are. It's like so, again, Lumpur Cha would say, "Well, be, be uh, you can be with the way things are as you uh, experience tidying up your kuti and or um, patching the." Or he would often use the example of of Ajahn Sinawan, who was you know, like in many monasteries, uh, the uh, Lumpur Cha would sort of take a wander through the through the kutis and uh, around the, the the property to see. How things are going, and and one day in the rainy season, he he came across this kuti with a grass roof, and half the roof had collapsed, and he and then he looked a little closer, and he realized there were some sandals by the the steps. And he thought, oh, one of the monks is living here, and he he went uh, he went up to to the kuti and and found uh, Tan Sinawan, uh, one of the monks sitting there in the sheltered part of the kuti and the rain was coming in the other part and he said what are you doing and he said i'm practicing non-attachment <laughs> and so <laughs> so why don't you fix your roof and he said, well i'm practicing non-attachment and so that was the subject of many 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 dhamma talks so ajahn cinnamon became famous as the how to not practice non-attachment like practice non-attachment as you are fixing the roof non-attachment to the the activities of fixing your roof so that the kuti doesn't get soaking wet and, and rotten so but I do think that because again this is a point that Lumpur uh, expounds on a, a few times in, in this Dhamma talk and so when he's talking about not trying to fix things but seeing the way things are it can it can come across as encouraging passivity or just a, a, a kind of abstracted observing of, of things but uh, I think it's good to recognize that um, your capacity to act is part of the way things are. That's the kind of <laughs> the core principle, and we can watch the way things are as as the, and the, us doing something to fix the roof or to clean the dishes or to tidy our room or to uh, you know, help uh, cure, uh, treat a patient. That's part of the way things are. You're not interfering with the way things are. Your activity and your engagement, your initiative, is part of the way things are. So I think that's a it's uh, good to uh, to to see it in that way. And again, it's, it was kind of obvious when you were living with Ajahn Chah, and uh, I can see by looking at the Buddha's life that you know these these great beings did a lot of stuff in their lives, took a lot of initiative, were very active and engaged in helping others. But the uh, within that context of things being done, there is that. Uh, quality of appreciation in the, in this moment is exactly this way. Here it is. It's like this. And uh, over the years, when with Lumpur Samedo emphasizing that um, those kind of uh, teachings, like this is the way it is. Uh, even handing out badges, it's like this. <laughs> Some of us are given little enamel badges by Lumpur. Just says, it's like this. And so that can be taken as therefore. Don't engage. Don't do anything. Uh, leave it to somebody else to fix it, or, or just uh, don't don't interfere with the universe. 
but it's not encouraging a kind of passivity. It's like, uh, once again, our capacity to act and the experience of acting and making choices is part of the way things are. So any questions, thoughts on that before carrying on? Is that Anagarika Evgenia? Speak up, sister. Or sit closer. Uh, could you say that... Uh, can you hear? I can hear, yes. Uh, could you say that uh, this uh, not trying to fix things is about not to act on your first uh, reaction? So when you see something... Uh, I see it's very important, especially in practice, uh, as soon as you think that you know what to do, you will ruin it. So <laughs> it looks like you really need to let things work themselves and just to let mindfulness work. In practice, is very obvious, but even in daily tasks, it seems that if you deploy a first reaction and then act from more broader perspective, like more mindful, um, then it will go always better. Yeah, I would say that certainly is a part of it. Uh, uh, like, like uh, I think in the meditation guidance I was, uh, I was uh, giving this morning, rather than I should be this way, I, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm slouched over. I need to sit up straight, or I need to relax. As long as that fixing or, or changing is coming from a place of self-view, it's always going to be uh, slightly or considerably out of out of balance. And if there's a, a mindfulness and wisdom is established, then the system adjusts on its own. And that uh, that uh, that sense of trying to, to fix things is is also can be very compulsive. And uh, I've mentioned many times how. Uh, in my uh, you know, early monastic life, I was I was very anxious. So I had a lot of uh, a lot of worry a lot of the time, and uh, there was a, a um, an edition of the teachings of the the third Zen patriarch, the Sin Sin Ming, the the verses on the faith mind, that was published in the in the eighties, um, and uh, what the the translation of one of the passages close to the end of that uh, that set of, of verses is uh, uh, to dwell in this realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. And I'd read that a few times, and then well, just one day, you know, reading that or he- hearing that being quoted, to live in this realization that the the the, uh, the the elder is talking about in that that those verses. Uh, that kind of um, awakened awareness is to be without anxiety about non-perfection, and it just sort of <laughs> like that kind of hearing that sort of changes your 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 vision, changes the way you see things. Like, wow, I spent my entire life being anxious about non-perfection. Like, that's my profession. Like, that's that's what I do. Kind of, all day, every day, it seems like that's you know, if there's something is wrong, worry about it. Even if it's not wrong, it might go wrong. So worry about it anyway. And uh, and so that uh, that really was so striking. And that and I and I took that as a kind of challenge. Can you meet 
what the mind is calling non-perfection and not create anxiety around it, not try to fix it or just recognize it's it's this way and that um, that uh, is a um, a very very different mode or attitude than what the, we're uh, accustomed to and that sense of trying to to always fix things and make it right then you can never you can never quite do enough to make the world right and it keeps going wrong again <laughs> and uh and, and also what was right last week is is wrong this week so there's there's no end to it and that uh um that sense of res- natural responsivity that comes from awareness that the mind attuned to the present reality and it's like like Lumpur giving a dhamma talk he would he would give uh, his talks were always completely spontaneous um, because that sense of attuning to the present and relating to the the people that are there, the, the quality of of attention or what the the responses are to the things that he's saying, that would be what guides what he says. Like like jazz, you know, or Indian ragas, you know, it's entirely live. It's it, you can't script it. It's there's a few themes that that are there. In, in like jazz music or Indian classical music, but it's necessarily spontaneous and live and responsive to the people that are playing and the people who are listening and the whole energy of the moment. So that um, that having a, an idea of how things should be and then <laughs> me acting to make it be that way is like dukkha in the beginning, dukkha in the middle, dukkha in the end. Okay, so to continue. Since the very beginning of the Buddha's dispensation, for those who hear and practice, there has not been any requirement to adjust or modify things, only to know and surrender. Wisdom is that which knows according to the truth of sankhara, or conditioned phenomena. However, sankhara are, that's what we need to know. Sankhara have their nature to arise and pass away. Any other view of things is impure dharma, the teaching of ignorance embedded in the heart. There'll be no cessation, the wheel turning endlessly, no solution, no end, no way to stop. So again, sort of uh, the um, not just looking at the nature. All sankharas are impermanent. But like, well, this sankhara is really important and really special. And this is this is a real one. <laughs> this is the perfectly beautiful sankhara. So this should be preserved and held and worshipped. Uh, but to to say no, if it's a sankhara, if it's a conditioned thing, then it's necessarily in a state of change and unsatisfactory. It can't permanently satisfy, and it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't belong to a. It isn't a person. Doesn't belong to a person. So uh, any other view of things, so like saying this sankhara is better than that sankhara in some absolute way, then is missing the the, the truth. Or the, or that it's an it's a it's a, an event, a pattern of of uh, a perception that's come together in a certain way. It does its thing and then it fades, and that's that's its essential nature. It's like insects crawling on the rim of a water barrel. They're always moving, but they aren't going anywhere. Only traveling around and around the rim. I think also Lumpur used to use the, an ant walking around the rim of the arms bowl. I think. Uh, Possibly Paul has translated that to water barrel from because most American readers wouldn't know what an arms bowl is. 
<laughs> we'll have that. But uh, my memory is that uh, Lumpur Chao would often use that, an ant walking around the rim of your arms bowl, sort of diligently <laughs> keeps going <laughs> around and around. And sometimes during the meal you'd see that happening. And they, oh, it's really working hard here, but <laughs> it's not realizing it's, get, it's not getting anywhere. It's following the following the trail of pheromones probably. Oh, there's another, an ant has been here. Oh, it smells very like mine. <laughs> Or like poo and piglet ch- looking at the the footprints in the snow of the the uh, the heffalump. Those of you are familiar with Winnie the Pooh and the House of Pooh Corner. That um, Winnie the Pooh and his friend Piglet were walking in the snow and they were walking around in circles. Oh, there's <laughs> other people have been here before. Oh, you know, there's lots of footprints. It looks like an elephant or a heffalump. And so that there's a whole scenario about them seeing their own footprints in the snow and diligently chasing after their own footprints. Like insects crawling on the rim of a water barrel, they're always moving, but they're not going anywhere, only traveling around and around the rim. The thoughts of ordinary benighted beings are the same. So benighted is an unusual English word um, nowadays. Benighted uh, means like those who are lost. So uh, being lost and uh, out at, being out at night not having got to your destination, being benighted, so that you're you're on your way to a town or to a house or to an inn, and you haven't got there, and you're stuck out in the dark um, on your journey. It's called being benighted. Also, uh, generally means a um, a kind of forlorn or lost, um, uh, d- a distracted state. The thoughts of ordinary benighted beings are the same. There is no finish or resolution. They just remain in the same old place. We may think we're headed far away, but we're only going around in circles, always coming back to the same place. We don't see the cycle in the heart because there's no wisdom to see. We rely on delusion as our wisdom, and real wisdom is nowhere to be found. This ignorance becomes the manager. There's no standard to practice by, and things get out of hand. This is not dharma. In Dharma, we want to see according to the Buddha's words. This means seeing that there is no solution, nothing to change or adjust, because Dharma is always complete as it is. So we, so we give up trying to control. But once again, he's addressing this this um, <clears throat> way that we're trying to find some kind of perfect sankara or some abiding place in some thing, some activity, some role, some identity. Um, whereby that oh this you know this is the real thing this is the good thing this is the 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 the, the beautiful or proper thing. In Dharma we want to see according to the Buddha's words. This means seeing that there is no solution, nothing to change or adjust because the Dharma is always complete as it is. So we give up trying to control. Uh, and yeah, as I was saying before, it doesn't mean that we are totally heedless. Give up trying to control. Okay, just. <laughs> Follow my impulses and um, uh, and uh, say be completely heedless is not the point. But that sense of uh, of uh, uh, the delusion of I am in command, I, I am the owner of my life, I do what I like, I go where I want, I'm in charge here. And that's a, a radical delusion. It's the kind of um, embodiment of the of self-view and self-delusion is that I am the owner of my life, I am in charge here, I am in control. And uh, that, it's, uh, uh, that sense of, of uh, identification with, with activity and 
the the, you know, the body and the and our say uh, the sign or the, the the tokens of agency that we have. Like I can choose what words to say. Uh, I we chose to have dhamma readings at six o'clock. Uh, I chose this book to read from, so I, oh, I'm, I'm in charge here. I know I know what's going on, yeah. But I can't just change the laws of nature. I can't just fly up off my my chair into the air, or you know, uh, or I can't manifest you know, uh, water from one hand and fire from the other. You know that this is beyond my my abilities. So we focus on the areas where we have apparent agency, and then we think I'm in charge here. I'm in charge here, <laughs> but. Ninety-nine point nine percent of the picture we are not in charge of at all, uh, and that we but we ignore that because we focus the attention on the tiny little areas where we do have a a, a, a modicum, a degree of agency and an apparent the appearance of control, and it's it's uh, it's interesting in early childhood when we're little babies we have very very little control and and. Uh, we are very vulnerable and subject to to the the, uh, the vagaries, the, the the way the world works, and also in old age, our faculties fade, or with great deal of sickness. Um, then we also can't really control what we what we what we're doing, where we go. We, we can't move, or we can't hear, or can't see. We can't feed ourselves. We can't move our limbs. Um, then again, we're we're in a very sort of vulnerable and um, dependent state so we tend to focus on real life is where i'm an adult and i can make my own choices and then the bit before when we're a little child that doesn't really matter we're kind of and then the bit at the end when we we've lost all our abilities that doesn't really matter either the really important thing is me in the middle where i'm in charge of my life and i'm really doing stuff and going places and so this is a delusion i would suggest because <laughs> we we like to focus on that bit and the buddha's teaching is is uh, helping us to Broaden the perspective. Like, look, <laughs> that this uh, the the appearance of control and uh, an agency it only manifests to a certain degree for a certain period of time, and it's always very dependent. You know, if you're if you're knocked out, you're, or you 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 keel over and faint, then other people have to look after you. Or if you have a, some, if you have a heart attack, or you have an aneurysm or something, then you know you're suddenly everything's gone dark, and you've you're unconscious these things can happen at any time so the um the the buddha's teaching and the encouragement is to don't just focus on the appearance of control pay attention to how much is is not uh not under individual control and then what that does is it helps to keep those decisions that are made in the areas of activity and choice it keeps them in a context we can see them uh, more clearly, rather than that sort of that delusion of uh, of I, I'm in charge. I often, in the respect to that, uh, I often describe a, a particular instance as as a as a Buddhist monk or a Buddhist nun. You're very very rarely at children's parties. It's an extremely rare occurrence. Uh, however, uh, back in 1985. I'd been living up at Harnham in the, in the north of England, in Northumberland, and uh, I was Lumpur Samedo had invited me come, to come down and join this new place, Amravati, that had just opened up. So I was uh, a few of the folks that I knew in the Northumberland area had invited me to come and visit, 
and to say goodbye before I left the area. And this one family, um, uh, the only day that was convenient for them also happened to be their five-year-old daughter's birthday party. So I found myself as a monk in the middle of this five-year-old's birthday party with kind of balloons and, and uh, party games and so on and so forth. So it was a very strange situation, very very surreal. Um, so being a, a monk uh, is this kind of um, strange uh, presence in the middle of the children's party, but it was, it was quite quite joyful and uh, and colourful in its own way. But anyway, the reason I mention it is that <coughs> there was one little child at this party <coughs> who was very neatly dressed. He was about, again, about probably about five years old, same age as the, 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 the girl. Uh, his name was Rivka. And uh, he had a very, very smart, uh, very tidy um, haircut and very tidily dressed and he was striding about the room saying, I'm in charge, I'm in charge, I'm in charge. And he looked a bit like Mussolini. You know, he was kind of strutting about. Apologies to any Italians here. So. But he really did, he was kind of strutting about like Il Duce, you know, the, the kind of junior Duce. And no one was paying any attention to him at all. All the kids are kind of running around playing their balloons and having their games. And, and he said, I'm in charge, I'm in charge, I'm in charge. And it was like this, Right, there it is. This is the kind of uh, self-view incarnate. This is the kind of ego. I, I mean, I don't mean to insult him. I realize this is being recorded, but um, he's probably a distinguished professor by now. <laughs> professor of linguistics at Newcastle University or something. But, uh, uh, <clears throat> but at that time, that was a very a, uh, striking image. And that fact of the assertion, uh, I'm in charge, and he really meant it. He wasn't kind of joking, he was dead serious. And absolutely everybody was ignoring him. And But he wouldn't stop. He kept going, kind of striding about, trying to convince people that he was in charge. And I thought, there it is, that's the ego talking to the universe. Like, the universe is saying, hi. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Yeah, please carry on if you wish. And completely, the universe being completely oblivious to being told this, this human was in charge of it. So again, that when, um, with uh, the idea of giving up control, giving up trying to control, doesn't mean being heedless or, or, uh, or sort of switched off or uh, inattentive, but rather letting go of that uh, sort of self-centered habit of, you know, I'm, I'm in charge here. So, any thoughts? Yes. Um, how do you reconcile this idea of, well, the fact that we're not in charge with karma? I am the owner of my karma, heir to my karma, born of my karma, and so on. Like, how I'm trying to integrate the two as you're talking, but there's some disconnect there. I'm not sure how to, to put them together. Well, many like the, that, it's, it's good that you asked that. I, I did this um, a week long session on self view in India just recently. And um, so this same question came up, and because there's quite a few of the chants uh, and that we that we do, like the Dhammachaka Sutta, also you know, idang dukkhang, there is dukkha, and it can come across like dukkha as an absolute reality, like this, there is dukkha, this is absolutely real, or uh, with a, like I am the owner of my karma, head of my karma, born of my karma, I am of the nature to age, I am of the nature to sick, and I am of the nature to die. So those kind of chants, those reflections. They're starting off from where you are. They're kind of starting off from the habits of self-view, and that uh, 
that when you when the mind appreciates that uh, and digs a little deeper into it as a recognition of well yes but no <laughs> it, it looks like i am the owner of my karma or i'm of the nature to age well uh, so it's uh, that's acknowledging where things start from if you get this that what i mean with that so so that in the beginning dukkha seems to be absolutely real like ow that hurts ow that painful you know dukkha uh, it seems absolutely real i'm of the nature to age start is starting from self-view like i'm the body i'm the personality i am of the nature to age so it's kind of getting the mind onto the um the the, the picture based on the habits of self-view i'm and then i'm the owner of my karma head of my karma born of my karma and related to my karma and so forth so in a sense you're kind of getting your mind onto the um the the, the felt experience of aging sickness death and and action and its results so rather than ignoring it altogether you're distracting yourself from it or 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 um uh, say making uh, creating anxiety around it just in a sense looking at the, the 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 bare fact of this is how it seems to be this is where you start from and then in a mysterious way by allowing that in then uh, with the development of wisdom then it's like well the body is of the nature to age the body is of the nature to sicken the body is of the nature to die but the uh, in the same chanting session you can be doing rupang anatta the body is not self so that that when we allow that in rather than pretending that the body isn't going isn't, isn't aging it's never going to get sick and it won't die like no it is okay then having allowed that in then looking a little deeper then then it's uh saying well yes uh the body gets a uh, the body ages the body gets sick the body dies but the body is not self so you're acknowledging that but also then the next stage is seeing the whole thing in a non-personal way so i am the owner of my karma out of my karma born of my karma it's like yes that's how nature works if the cause happens here then the effect ha- is felt in the same place if, if i say some words you don't remember having said them i do <laughs> they were said here so they remembered here or the the sense of of uh, where the where where the uh, where the cause happens is the same place as where the effect is felt it's you know again how nature works uh, that uh, <clears throat> if if one you know uh, apple drops from the tree the uh, apple that's still on the tree doesn't get bruised it's like it's still on the tree the one that falls gets the bruise it's it's not personal it's just that's how nature operates does that make sense i think so if, if you don't mind can i just clarify so karma is almost like a starting point but kind of the end point would be realizing that we're not in control and so it's like a deeper and deeper levels of understanding where that's the segue kama to the idea of some of these fundamental laws of what's happening that actually kind of is deeper letting go <coughs> so we're not actually in control it's maybe not something that i can comprehend right now you know as a, <laughs> a limited human being but as you know as i get deeper and deeper it's it's something that will emerge is am i on the right line i would say so yeah so that that the, the as that the wisdom faculty gets sort of brought to bear on that then it's seen that oh this is the cause this is the effect the action was done here so the the effect is felt here if the action was unskillful if i if i have told a lie 
I've said something that's cruel, then the regret is felt here. That's the cause, there's the effect. That that the action is not self, the the, the regret is not self, but that's the cause, there's the effect. And so that it's like this is just nature operating. It's not a person doesn't belong to a person. And but it's but it's also it's not just like a a, a clever piece of footwork to avoid responsibility. <laughs> it in a way it's accepting responsibility more completely. And the the more that 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 works in the sense that I am not in control, then like the the because of birth there is a body it has its six senses they're located in time and space and so that the the effects of that birth are felt here you know with because of uh, of birth and so that as the mind is uh, more and more say free of delusion and the action uh, and speech are guided more and more by mindfulness and wisdom rather than by by self uh, self view and conceit and you know greed hatred and delusion then uh, actions are taken the results are experienced but there's no identification with them it's not like i'm proud of that or i'm i'm embarrassed about that uh that the 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 mind isn't creating a self out of what's done and and uh, what is um whether things are, are praised or criticized uh, but also part of that is that the more that mindfulness and wisdom develop, the more that sila is the natural mode of operating. If that makes sense. So that um, the, the what uh, what happens as the, the more that there is the, the spiritual development or more mindfulness and wisdom is the sort of dominant qualities, then actions are still being taken. The Buddha was still, you know, the enlightened beings are still functioning in the world. The Buddha was still giving. Dhamma teachings, you know, at the at the very end of his life, but the words are being said, uh, actions are being taken according to what's appropriate for the time, the place, the situation. But the mind isn't making it into uh, a, a a person or anything that belongs to a person, and a sense of, of a personal control is not there. It's like there's a responsivity to what what's happening, where things are at, and what what looks like it's useful for the situation. But the mind is not making anything out of that. It's not creating a person out of that. So that that's why, rather than the 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 illusion of control, the the more that there is spiritual maturity, the more there's a a, a, a responsivity of a being that is uh, functioning completely according to time and place and situation. So that's why someone like Lumpur Cha was extremely unpredictable and quite sometimes quite inconsistent in the in the in the way that he spoke and was completely unbothered by the fact that he was contradicting what he said two minutes ago because you know that you know, in the in the situation that he's speaking then what was appropriate to to the point to make two minutes ago then things have moved along and maybe he's looking at a different person and he's making the opposite point. Uh, and it's completely, completely relevant. So he, people would point out to him, Lumpur, you, you're inconsistent. You know what you said five minutes ago is the opposite of what you're saying now. And he would say, Yeah, well, that's how it is. <laughs> when you see someone going down the road and they're veering to the left, you say, Go right, go right. If they're veering to the right, you say, Go left, go left. It's opposite advice, but the the intention is to keep people on track. 
I also often, the very last conversation I had with Lumpur Cha, um, that uh, I've probably shared with many of you a few times, was a very good example of this. So I'd been offered a, my first reigns as a monk, I had, you know, one pansa, one vasa, and I just got a telegram from England saying my father had a heart attack, and so I'd scooted down from this little branch monastery in Royette uh, province, uh, and Ajahn Chah was, he'd spent the reigns at this little branch monastery in the village, actually where he was a, a, a temple boy. They, they just offered that to him as a branch monastery. And so I went to go and see him there, and uh, um, my tie was very rudimentary, and one of the other monks, uh, Ajahn Jagaro, who was the, the then the abbot of uh, what Nanachant, came along, and so he translated for me. <coughs> so he explained that my dad just had a heart attack and that I needed to scoot back to England quickly. So this was October of 79. The Chithurst Monastery had opened up in June of 79. And so uh, Lumpur Cha spoke for about 20 minutes. And then Ajahn Jagaro um, translated. He said, well, essentially Lumpur said four things. He said, go to England, pay your respect, uh, go, uh, go and spend the time you need to with your family, go and pay respects to Ajahn Sumedha, then come straight back to Thailand. Second thing he said, Go to England, take care of your business with your family, go and, um, go and pay respects to Ajahn Sumedha, stay with him for a year, then come back to Thailand. Third thing, go to England, take care of your business with your family, go and pay respects to Ajahn Sumedha, uh, and then go and stay with him, and uh, and stay with him as long as you can. But if it's really if it's really impossible, if, if you really can't stand it there, then it's quite okay to come back to Thailand. And the fourth thing, predictably, was go to England, t- take care of your business with your family, pay respects to Ajahn Sumedho and don't come back. And it was all delivered in exactly the same tone <laughs> in, in 20 minutes. Like four mutually contradictory instructions. Like, here's your instructions, follow them to the letter. <laughs> okay, thank you, Lumpur. <laughs> Will do. You know. And so basically, like, you figure it out. Uh, but it was like... It wasn't as though he'd forgotten what he was saying, but it was just that was coming to what was what was coming to mind as he was speaking, and in response to what he seemed to be suitable for myself as this very young green bhikkhu. And he'd just been in England um, that uh, that summer. Uh, he made his second visit to the West in in the summer of seventy nine. So he'd just been there when they moved to Chithurst. Like the, that. That, that film, The Buddha Comes to Sussex, was, was made in, in uh, June and July of that year. And so, uh, so th- that was, uh, okay, final instructions? Doi can I? Well, I will follow those to the letter. <laughs> so basically, we'll go and you figure it out. So that uh, that responsivity is what... Uh, is uh, guiding so the more uh, uh, enlightened the being is then they are in a way they're in total control <laughs> but they're not uh, of their faculties uh, of their attention but exactly what is the, the kind of quote unquote right thing to do is going to be totally flexible from moment to moment and that um, there and that contemplation of anicca of uncertainty that's that's right you're right close to the surface you never know what's going to happen next so be be ready be aware be be ready and so particularly for lumpur cha 
that was a very very frequent teaching and you know my it's not a sure thing and is encouraging that very very strongly so that that delusion of control or the predictability is it was being unplugged all the time and as soon as anyone said you know, i am going to do this or we will be doing this you go oh, really <laughs> or you know, words to that effect you would are you sure about that ching that are you is that true are you sure is that is that a certainty and that um that kind of it's a mixture of both being totally in control <laughs> like totally attuned but ready to respond to a situation in in a- any way that's appropriate so he was completely unpredictable uh you know when you again i couldn't speak thai very well but um you know, you'd be in a, he'd be receiving people under his kuti and, and, and talking with various people and you think, oh, oh, this person's asked a really good question or they're very, they're being very respectful. And he'd be extremely blunt and cold with them. You know, oh, that's interesting. And someone who you thought, oh, they're being really kind of pompous or trying to, trying to look really clever. And then you think, oh, the poor's really going to let him have it. And then he'll be extremely gracious and friendly and kind of cracking jokes. You know, oh, oh. So over and over, you're wrong-footed by, by you couldn't you couldn't predict how he would be. But it was always that sense of, even though you couldn't follow the language, just how he was often addressing where the question was coming from or where people were at, rather than the the text of what they were asking about or what they were saying. He would address the person or the the the, the place where the things were coming from rather than the, just the words so you could tell i mean even without the language he was very very attuned to to that the to a situation and you know you couldn't second guess him or if you tried to you know you were, <laughs> you were really in trouble so uh, so I, I feel that um when we talk about giving up trying to control it's very much about self-view and surrendering self-view to mindfulness and wisdom so speaking to attunement to time and place and situation i'll leave it there for today